All right, hotties, it's time for our next process party. We've talked about how important furniture sales are to generating revenue. And the first thing to do is learn the differences in quality and value. Because we've got to educate ourselves before we can educate our clients. Let's go. Hi, I'm Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? I hope I am loud and clear because I have a new cable for my microphone. I know. Y'all, we're not audio engineers. We, like, (laughs) literally jumped into this like on a wing and a prayer, figuring out what we were going to do. So my new cable is what's up and my voice levels. We have to constantly go like, oh, we want that to be better. We want that to be better. And so we're learning how to be professional podcasters. Yep. One episode at a time. So thanks for bearing <laughs> with us with the, the other sounded a little sad. But <laughs> <laughs> What are other ways people can help us? Besides just bearing with us. I mean, I feel like we have seen a really big growth, like boom in the last, I think since we started back this year, like is when I really started noticing listenership was up and y'all are, all the hotties are paying attention more to the show and recommending it to their friends. So thank you for sharing it with your designer friends. That's really helpful for us. It helps a lot. And for us being able to like, turn this into a community and a platform where we can develop partnerships and sponsorships to help us keep the show going. Every bit helps if you give us a rating, number one. Yeah, just a little note, a little five-star review on your podcast app is super helpful. Yeah, so not just the rating, but also writing a quick review. And that helps because all the algorithm gods of the various podcast platforms put us as recommended if you listen to other podcasts and they list us with those podcasts and they help us show up more often, which means more people can find the show. And that's the main way that podcasts grow and reach new audiences. It's not really through Instagram. It's not really through web searches. Everything that you do, if you've enjoyed the show, helps us grow even more. So we appreciate that. We really do. Or Facebook groups, we're all in a bunch of them. We'll be probably referring to a few of them today. And yeah, sharing some episodes that were helpful. You know, we always like our little spies out there giving us a boost. Yeah, we've had our hottie a, spies. Few, a few hotties will, will go, oh, I didn't even know you were in this group. And, and I'll see that they mentioned, you know, Hot Young Designers Club or something. And then it starts popping up in my page that they did it. So I love seeing that. And we're celebrating. I mean, we're having a lot of milestones lately. We are. But this one's big because it's a number of downloads. Yeah, I get really weirdly hooked on number goals, which is weird that I'm the one that is because I'm not like the mathy person, but I really (laughs) was excited to see we hit 20,000. 
20,000 downloads. Guys, that is, that's like a full stadium. Yeah, like if all 20,000, if 20,000 people showed up, it would be crazy. Yeah. I mean, I also recognize that's the downloads of all the episodes. So some of, obviously. So some of you guys are are taking up like 30 chairs, but yes. (laughs) They have their own (laughs) VIP box. But still, that's a lot of hotties. And by the time this episode airs, it's probably going to be even way more than that. So that's the other thing we've leveled up this year is we're really like planning out our our content calendar, our guest calendar and everything. So that way we have more content lined up for you, but also to help us be able to still operate our design businesses by being far ahead. So if we want to take some time off or we need to take a week off for big presentations, we don't constantly have to be recording right before everything is going to publish, we're able to get pretty far ahead and kind of give us hopefully a little bit of that work, work balance, right? (laughs) Life goes in there somewhere, but yeah. And it's kind of gross. Sometimes I think when we talk where people talk about numbers and behind the scenes stuff, the business side of it, but just remember, yes, we are both running businesses. We have been providing this as a free resource because we really enjoy it. But at some point, like it all has to balance out. So totally. thank you. Thank you, hotties. Should we jump into some fizzle sizzle of the week? Let's do it. All right. You first. Okay. Fizzle. Ugh. I have just got to stop reinventing the wheel. It's on... just, well, honestly, it's like everything. Seven. The seven in me wants to reinvent everything all the time, but okay. My my proposals. I got an upgraded proposal template through Dubsado that we both use, and it's really beautiful. And I had been using it for furnishing proposals, but I hadn't done one for a kitchen or a bath yet. So that just derailed me yesterday. I had to kind of rebuild everything. Hopefully now it's templatized to where it's not such a big deal, but I was dragging my feet because I just knew there was going to be need to be a few new graphics created and not just the proposal part. It's the pretty parts, pretty parts. And, you know, I got to got to watch myself on that stuff. I mean, it, it is Alice in Wonderland. Like you go full on into it when it happens. I can take a deep dive. Yep. So, oh my God, <laughs> but it also is rewarding. Hole. It's rewarding for you. Not, not like for your clients, is it rewarding, but it's just like for you, it's satisfying to know that you can create it. You did create it. It's beautiful. It's lovely. For, like the formatting is great. The graphics are beautiful. It's but- also, I don't know. My conversion rates are a lot higher when it looks better. And it wasn't just looks. I did put, you know, new wording and made sure I was explaining things, certain things a little bit better. So there was a lot of that too. But yeah, it's it's to me part of the presentation process. And we've talked about this before. Like I don't want mm-hmm. people just to see a word doc with a big number attached to it. So this should be like the magic, beautiful part of the job. The contractor bid is the one that's not cute and very high. 
Yeah, that one is very list oriented. I I agree. When you put a little bit more into the proposals to make them feel beautiful and interactive and an extension of your branding and your marketing guidelines, if it feels like it's in the same family as your website and everything else, it it really does help keep the client engaged. And they're it's the magic of the process they're going through, especially for a construction job mm-hmm. where it's so, going to be that, a lot of mess, a lot of money. Like we're like the magical really fairies that come through. I mean, I've been called worse. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, I'm not bothered by being called a magical fairy. So <laughs> you kinda, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it, yeah. If the fizzle is that you have to rebuild the proposals. I have to like... just not do it every time. So there's a sizzle in there that it's done. Okay. So my real sizzle, I'm going to have two. I'm going to be quick about one. Okay. And maybe this should be a fizzle because you undersold Poldark <laughs> a few episodes back. I'm, maybe I, mean, I it did. Was, it was your sizzle. Was... Okay. You did not, you really held back on Aiden Turner and his hotness. I mean, not everyone's going to find him universally attractive. Like what, what, person the shirtless like shirtless using a scythe to cut hay in a field like yeah <laughs> with his like mop top of the hair hair and he's the like stubble. a justice warrior like yeah yeah he's kind of hard not to fall in love with even if you're a he's straight man like got, yeah even if he's questionable like ethics wise sometimes you're like but he wants to do the right thing he's like trying to do coming from a good place something altruistic and yeah yeah definitely yeah he's like an adorable rogue and yes i've been staying up too late watching that but my real sizzle so i have this really great client that i've been working on their bathroom for a cabin they bought in tahoe and working on it for a while but they're finally doing um the construction on it they're almost oh i think all the walls are up now so tile Yay. happens next week and it's really fun like it's so fun so i'm gonna go up there and do a site visit i haven't been there in a while and we're gonna start we're rolling out more rooms like they're the best clients like especially for me and what i love they we were kind of going through some inspiration stuff last week. We had a meeting and they're like, yeah, that's great. But more color. <laughs> Can we get it like, more colorful? You're like, yes, yes, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it's ideal and they have healthy budgets. So well, that's what fun. more could we ask for adventure money shirtless 1700s hotties yeah. yeah maybe it was if it was on the coast of cornwall <laughs> cap and ross have a care have a okay. care i love tisn't, how they say tisn't have right isn't proper tisn't, i like i it? like that it's like a threat like have a care yeah which <laughs> like really watch, means you better watch yourself watch your step watch buddy. what you're about to say it's george it, really is, it is that it is oh what do you you better choose your words carefully is what that means <laughs> which don't make me Get pull dark on you. And somebody, so I went off on this yesterday in my stories on Instagram, and somebody said, Welcome to the club. You're officially a pull dork. That's what a pull dork. Oh, no. I mean, oh, 
No, I watched them all pretty quickly. I never got into the whole like Reddit universe and Twitter universe. I feel like there's like reenactments that have to be happening, right? I would not be shocked if there were married couples or even unmarried couples out there playing this in their role play fantasy. Oh, like Ooh Demelza? Mm hmm. I could totally see that happening. It's a romance novel waiting to happen. I mean, it is a, ro- well, there are, I've heard the novels are good, but I don't think they're romance novel. I think they're probably more like outlandery. Yeah. I guess I'm just surprised that I think it was a big hit in the UK mm-hmm. because I've now read a book that they mention it. So it's part of the like pop zeitgeist culture. there. Yeah. But here I'm like shocked that I think it's better than Downton Abbey. Uh, and it's in I'm, a different way, but in a different way. But I might agree that it it tends to move faster, and it's a little it's less, less serious like who, at times. Or who done it? Or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The but it's not Downton, as... Downton was all about the the grandeur and the fantasy, and I feel like Poldark is not a fantasy. You look at these houses; they're living in basically rock hovels on not the side of, of a cliff. Though. Not all of them, but also but you these are side not... with like your the point of view is more of like the everyman, not the not the wealthy, genteel, yes. But I don't want to like cook in a pot over a hearth and people die from laryngitis. Like if Captain Ross wants me to, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna go and get your blistered hands having to take care of chickens and horses and goats and. Oh my. Um, okay, that, that was, I might get cut out. My, okay. Eh, I'm okay with it. In Sean's camp of fizzles, I told you about this before I went to it, but I didn't do a follow-up story about how it went. I'm sure they're all over the country. They're having these things. It was one of those drive-through experiences. Oh yeah, you didn't. And I didn't me. follow up on it, but this one was for... Stranger Things and it was like a Stranger Things experience and it was one of those drive through things because we're just we're trying to just do something yeah. not just sitting at home every night watching and, Dark. and I will say this it had really great production value but it was basically you're still basically driving through a parking lot and a parking garage. And they have in this one, there were actors who were dressed up like characters from Stranger Things. And I really like Stranger Things as a show, but they had full costumes of the Demogorgon, like the. It was the like a haunted character. house, basically. Kind of. Yeah. They had this whole strobe lights things and there's radio stations you tune into. It's basically like they're acting on a stage, but they're running around the cars and you were actually people they were trying to So it's like Universal Studios. But in your car. In your car mixed with a haunted house. That's not. Right. That's scary. Right. And you have to wait in a line just to like start the event. So that's kind of annoying, like a Disneyland line, but you have to wait in your car. Basically, okay, I'm just going to keep reinventing this. It's basically a yeah. Disneyland ride that they yeah. built in a garage yeah. and you are the little car. You're the, yeah, like you're the boat or whatever. You're the little <laughs> Autopia vehicle or Without whatever. Without any like, drops or. But physical. you, so I was smart because this is the second one we've done. And this is why it's my fizzle. One, I, if I'm not driving the vehicle, 
I start to feel a little bit car sick every, everywhere I go. doesn't matter where it's been that way my whole life. It's I'm, I've never, I very rarely, unless it's been like the windy road up to the mountains, have I really said you need to pull over for like, I can usually control myself, but I, that's one reason why I don't like these things because you are winding in and out. Like they have the lines kind of like winding in on each other and you're driving in the car like that. And it's that already makes it worse. So you are it's kind not of like Indiana Jones. You're like going super slow. No. Yeah. You're driving slow, but you are like driving through lines like as they're having you go in and having you wind around and it's really annoying. And so Sean will usually drive for stuff like that because I also hate, the driving because you're on defensive the whole time like like there's a code there's a person there's things coming around like do things come out like are there pop-outs yeah no not like that like it's all real people so they're being conscious of like not coming up to your car so they don't get their foot ran over or whatever but I don't like that stuff if it was up to me I wouldn't have booked this that's why I'll say it and I was smart this time because this is our second one we've done Last time I didn't bring snacks. This Mm. time I brought snacks because the last time was an hour and a half and it was like a electric dance rave type of thing because all the festivals have been canceled. No, it was around that time of year, but it was like all these like, if you were high, it would probably would have been awesome because all the lights are everywhere and everything, but you have to drive. Like you can't be, well, you shouldn't be high if you have to operate heavy machinery like a vehicle through people and there are laws sets. against that mm-hmm. <laughs> so just saying the experience itself if you don't mind being in your car that long and not being able to go to the bathroom and having like all that great more power to you you do it i did not love it it's a no for me and that that's my fizzle it was okay but it wasn't great and i wouldn't recommend it to other people that i know so I'm kind of ready for all that. I just want all that shit to be done with. I don't want that to be a thing like, anymore. Let's just go back to the theater where we're not buckled up. And and you just sit down. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's kind of embarrassing. <sighs> I don't know. Like they have to keep resetting and doing the same thing. For them it is, I bet. Yeah. They have to keep doing the same That's thing. That's what I think of. I would for be hundreds thinking, of vehicles. Like I would be thinking thousands. of this actor. How are you still like. On. Yeah. Luckily for us in Los Angeles, there are plenty of people right. who want to be actors. Like This is like an only in LA thing, it seems like. You'd have to definitely have a lot of people who would want to do a show like this and be extras. And they're like, yeah, I got this job for you. It pays $300 a night. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's a big production value, though. Like Toyota is a sponsor of this one. They had big production value. And it obviously cost a lot to put it together. It was like $30. So it wasn't that expensive. Like per car? Per person in car. Dude. So yeah. Like if you packed in your car with your whole family, you're still paying, you know, over $100. Oh, this would be where I would do the drive-in trick with the blanket in the back. Like, yeah, go to a drive-in movie. No, but you just hide your kids in the back under a blanket. Oh, oh, oh. oh literally. Okay. <laughs> like kids get in the trunk. Mommy will get you out. You are not getting a full price ticket for this situation. Okay. (laughs) Well, so that was your fizz. That was my fizzle. The sizzle. I feel like this is kind of a sign of who I am more is I'd rather just sit and vibe at home to stuff like this is I don't think you knew what this was until I told you, but the, the Pally society or Pally house. 
mm. is, I mean, they claim that they're world famous. I'm, I'm not going to say all of that. It's tough because all of their locations are, are in the U.S. So it'd be hard to say that it's, you know, world famous, but. Well, now that you promoted them on this podcast, they are. Now it's freaking world famous because you guys, <laughs> we have hotties in like more than 44 countries. Right. So thank so, you. are welcome, Pally House. Not sponsored. Welcome. Yeah, you're welcome for that. So Pally House and is like the individual location. So they have like a Pally House in Hollywood and in Santa Monica and in Silver Lake, San Francisco. They have one in Miami Beach. Like they like are the essentially hard rock, like, like the Hard Rock Cafe. Oh, nothing like that. No, I know. <laughs> it's actually a bougie like society like you you pay to be a member and you but they have like a they have restaurants and bars that you can go into they have hotels but if you're a member kind of like soho house you can stay at different hotels they have residences they have suites it's a social club yeah it's a social club, but they're all designed to be really beautiful and gorgeous. If uh, We'll put the links in the show notes to the Pali Society. You guys can look at it. Design-wise, they're, they're really beautiful places to look at and to be in and to hang out in. So one, I miss that about Los Angeles when a lot of these places were open publicly indoors. So you could just chill and have a drink and do that. But part two is they have a Pali Society spotify playlist that's music that fits their energy so it's very sunday brunch but it also transitions because it's like a five-hour playlist so it has portions that feel like cocktail time and others that Mm. sort of feel like brunch time and i feel like it's just a really great put this on while you're cooking put this on while you're around the fire pit talking with some friends it's got some lo-fi beats it's got some little bit of like disco stuff in there that's not too like party animal and it's just got that energy that I miss so much about having a great meal having a great cocktail being out with friends in greater LA and I don't know there there's a really chill aspect to what what Pally House does so it just kind of takes me transports me to that place I will link their playlist in the show notes because it's been a highlight for me to turn this on in the evenings for the last week or so here. I mean, we need something. I mean, it makes sense that it's a social club and then it's making you want to be social. Yeah. I mean, even though we're not ready to jump back into all of that yet, it's definitely tiny little toe dips, little bit at a time. Like if they told me that their like outdoor spaces were ahead, I would be ready for more of that. That sounds amazing. I know dreams. So that's the sizzle. It's a great list. I think you guys will like it. All right. So should we get into the show? Let's do it. Just. Just Disclaimer to everyone. We're not Mm -hmm. experts on all of this in all aspects of this, but. We're, we're going to try to give you a primer today. Yeah, or at least a figure this out for yourself and kind of create your own definitions internally. This is something that we've been trying to like articulate as a show topic because it comes up 
all the time in these Facebook groups of like, I'm looking for a mid-range sofa or what do you for something high end or what do you think about so-and-so's upholstery line like a trade manufacturer and you, you just see all these designers popping in like oh their stuff is garbage their stuff is really low budget and what struck me one time is somebody compared a probably i don't know three thousand dollar sofa from a trade resource with cost plus world market (laughs) i was like really let that can't be true like no no it's not true i've seen it yeah so that just kind of made me all right let's dig into this a little bit and kind of zoom out talk think about like the whole world of products and manufacturing and quality and i feel like we're if if you're like thinking about it of the industry as the globe, we are flying at 10,000 feet above that, right? Like we're trying to get really broad perspective. It's sort of how you can't see the size of the earth till you zoom out really far. You can't see the size and the range of everything in our industry till you, you have to zoom out really far. Like you have to know what the whole range is before you start throwing these terms around and then figure it out what it is for your clients. I'm not going to propose a $50,000 light fixture for my client, but they exist. <laughs> and so, one day I would love maybe. to be involved with projects that do that, but we're not necessarily saying we're at that point is what I think you're trying to say. Our levels are different for each of our businesses and depending on the project we're doing. Yeah. So I guess there's two things. There is what is in the existence of the world. We all know there's Walmart level of furniture, but let's also remember there's shit being made in Europe that is crazy. Yeah, there's hand woven silk tapestry wallpaper being made by hand. Hand woven leather wallpaper, just stuff that's not in our radar. So when we're throwing around terms like Low end, high end, mid range. That means nothing it, to me when people say that. Right, I, get, I think it's a we pet need to know what the whole world has, and then each one of us needs to determine our own, basically, kind of like what we're going to sell, like what's in our shop, and what would, do we consider at all those budgets. I would love if more designers had a had price points in mind that they were thinking of for things. Like, I I know that we can't always use price points as the barometer of quality, but it really does help when some people will say, I'm looking for a high-end sofa. And then people are coming in with sofas that are 20,000 plus. And then they go, oh, I was thinking like seven. And it's like, girl, you're way off then. Like, To someone else, that's a low-end sofa. And it probably is. So I think that helps, one, it'll help raise your credibility and the impact of your professionalism if we stop using relative terms like that. And we try to qualify those terms more of maybe if you're looking for something higher than what you used before, tell people, I've used these lines and I'm looking for the next step up from that. Like, hey, everyone, I've been using West Elm and now I'm ready to upgrade. What's the trade vendor that's up from that. Yes. And and start slowly building away from those things, but give us a reference point because cheap, expensive, high-end, low-end means 
nothing. Right. I think we can get into it a little bit more. The purpose of this is to determine what each of our baseline is. What is the minimum Mm -hmm. sofa line that we're going to offer to our clients? And then the high end in our own personal repertoire and finding vendors that meet each of those budgets. Somebody mentioned in one of the groups that I thought was really interesting was when talking about a client budget, if they have a mid-range budget to mix in high-end budget items and low-end budget items and get Mm -hmm. your mid-range budget by that average instead of just all mid-range items, which I thought was a really great way of looking at it. Because you you don't have room to splurge if you're aiming everything at mid-level. There's nothing that's a little bit higher mixed in. Right. So when you think of fashion, it's nice to invest in a nice pair of shoes. They upgrade your old Navy jeans. So you mix all that stuff in and overall it gives you a more interesting look mm-hmm. and I think is perceived as better quality. Right. And we're going to continue to bringing, bring in manufacturers and vendors and industry partners to help educate us on what makes products different and how pricing is determined. We're definitely not the experts on all of this. So we recognize that this is just the beginning of what will potentially be a longer ongoing conversation to help all of our hotties get a bigger perspective. Yes. Cause I, I mean, there's just so much to learn. There's so many different types of products and furniture pieces, for instance, materials to learn about. So Education is never done, mm-hmm. but I think we can talk about some real high level things to consider when you're looking at furniture or learning about a vendor or product. Right. So one of the first things I look at is whether something is handmade or whether it's machine made, mm-hmm. even if it's made overseas where cost of labor or materials are much cheaper than they would be in the U.S., If a person was involved in making it and had to hand carve something or hand fabricate something, that's going to be more expensive than if a machine could just push out thousands of these every day. Like typically custom means it's handmade. Right. So all the dimensions are different. That all has to be hand cut or to a device that hand cuts it. Yeah. No one's putting one item on a giant production line. Right. So how do you determine, how do you find out if it's handmade or machine made, if it's like a vendor product? Most trade vendors are going to tell you in the product specifications how it's produced. If they don't tell you that it's machine made or disclaimers that talk about variability or talk about how each piece is unique, that kind of gives you an idea that There's a lot of variation, Mm -hmm. which is sometimes a hallmark of something being handmade or that the materials are not uniform on every piece. Yeah. And there are some vendors that I can think of like Noir, for instance, that has that. Their stuff isn't necessarily handmade though, but their materials they use are. Less uniform during over every project. By intention. Right. That's like being educated on the lines. So hopefully you have a good rep that'll kind of sell. Cause that's like, those are selling points or discouraging points that we need to communicate to our clients. 
Yeah, some clients like that look that a person was involved in making this. Others want it to be clean and modern. And yeah, and it looks like it's imperfection to them. So So probably if a website doesn't say that it was machine made, means it was machine made. Yeah, because I think that's starting to grow as something you call out. Yeah. A lot of things now are machine made and that's why we can have so much supply, so much inventory, why it can be a much cheaper, or I should say lower price because mm-hmm. cheap is cheap is describing quality usually mm-hmm. versus price in my experience. And if something is very high priced and you can't figure out why, maybe find out how it was made. So that was... That's something right. to are, ask a question. Like, are these fabrics, rare materials or are they like fabric that comes up a lot? We've talked about like hand blocked fabrics versus machine printed. The price will be different. And then you have to look at what type of fabric base under the pattern that was hand applied. Was this a woven linen is this a cotton it what is it also is going to change the quality of that i really learned a lot in oh god i have the book is awful but the the course was great in school about textile design and really understanding what the different levels of textile quality and textile materials can be Mm -hmm. And then my internship with Catherine Ireland really helped with that too, because she had her own line of textiles. So I think it is just continually trying to learn more about that. And it helps you sell it to clients when you understand why is the price point, you know, $160 a yard instead of $30 a yard. And then get the samples and compare them because usually it's pretty clear. Oh, night and day. Like your (laughs) Ikea machine screen printed pillow looks nothing like the hand-blocked Indian textile on Belgian linen, for example. Right. <laughs> I mean, not to be too specific or anything. <laughs> Ish. Okay, we touched on things being made in the U.S. or not. That is really going to impact cost of materials and labor. And that goes back to things being made en masse and, you know, being produced in a big factory and they get packed and shipped and sent in a giant container. And then if it has to come come overseas, come through customs, come through the port, it's it's a big undertaking. But that actually usually means the costs are lower. Right. Which is the confusing part. But there's labor rates, which are dramatically different. Yes. And some of your clients will care about that when they're looking at, you know, quality. Fa- they're looking at where am I supporting things to be made? And that can be big for them. That, to that becomes like value driven for sure. Right. Rugs is another one. If that rug was hand knotted, you guys if, think about how many individual fibers are on a rug. <laughs> and fingers are touching. Them. Yeah. So rugs are the, the place where I feel like I have started testing my knowledge because like, mm-hmm. When I'm sourcing, usually you have to, usually when I'm sourcing rugs, you can see the way it's made and then you click in for the price. So I start doing like my little tests on myself. Okay. Oh, it says hand knotted. Click. Yep. Yeah. It's over budget or whatever. But the same token, if it says polypropylene power loom, it's probably not going to look all that great either. 
Because a machine has the pattern programmed into it to make it's every printed, single... or and it's probably printed on it. So instead of it's it being a red fiber, th- instead of it being a red thread that gets woven through, it's all white threads and it gets sprayed. On. Yeah, it's like graffitied pattern, basically. Which is there's time and a place. If you have a house that you know these kids are gonna trash it or it's going under a really busy breakfast table, there may be a time and a place for it. Or it's an outdoor rug or whatever. Right. But just know again, samples. Oh my god. Can you show samples. a client the difference? This mm. is a hand-woven vegetable dyed wool or non-synthetic dye, and then you compare it to the opposite of that. It's night and day. It's night and day. And we were talking again about bringing in the values and, you know, supporting communities and people all over the world that need it. If the company in question is doing a good job with their manufacturing processes and their employees, then it could be worth a higher price because you're, you know, you're paying somebody what they're worth, not. Not for just what the product itself is, what worth we put on it. Hey, hotties. Have you ever listened to the show and wished you could ask us questions? Well, we just opened up private coaching sessions. Now you can book one or two hour Zoom sessions with Rebecca and me. Together, we bring over 40 years of experience in our combined professional backgrounds to help you with marketing, finance and business strategy. We're here to guide you on anything from branding to systems to the emotional guidance that you need to run your business. Book today at hotyoungdesignersclub.com slash coaching or use the book now button on our Instagram. We can't wait to meet you. One that's local to me that I struggle with is cabinetry. Hmm. Because not you, I really have to spend a lot of time showing clients like a A, we're having trouble with like quality lumber, period. There are shortages at different times depending on the species. That changes price. But there's also to find quality stain grade lumber where the, you know, the grains of the wood look beautiful enough that you want to stain that lumber and highlight it on a project. Mm -hmm. That's more expensive than one where you don't care what the graining looks like because you're just going to paint it. Yeah, because it has to do with how they plane and cut the trees so that you see the most ideal grain pattern. Right. And like the pretty one, the pretty grain pattern means that they waste more of the tree. Correct. Correct. So they have to like lose more of the volume of the tree every time they do it. So that one piece is worth like two and a half regular cut pieces. Yeah. We could put in the show notes. If you've never looked at what it means You've probably heard of quarter saw and white oak. Have you ever like looking at the way they actually cut the tree trunk to get that quarter saw? Oh, yeah, there's a there's good diagrams. Yeah. And then you kind of realize, like, oh, okay. So this whole golden oak trend of the 80s, there's a reason why you see all of the grain pattern in that like yes. gross way. Ugh, ugh. I just it's so the way gross they looking. Were cut. And- Right. And it was cost effective, but, you know, you and I have had discussions where we're talking about, you know, other designers who can't believe how expensive inset cabinetry is, and they just don't realize how much more labor intensive and exacting it has to be. I mean, it practically has to be finished on site 
you know, there's only so far that most cabinet makers will go before finessing things on site again, and sometimes rebuilding cabinets again on site, because if they're that custom, pieces don't fit properly. Have you ever had a kitchen cabinet, just like an overlay door, and the screw gets loose and the whole front of the cabinet door like oh my god shimmies but you can yeah. just screw it back on and it's tight again and straight you can't yeah. do that with inside cabinets like they don't right it, it won't has open to be perfect from the beginning or it's and if you don't know what we mean by inside and overlay like that's like probably a good thing to kind of get a get into a google 101 cabinet yeah i feel like for me it's you know, yeah, we can do things to save money. We can have them be veneered cabinets where the insides are particle, which is kind of like what Ikea does on some of their stuff or other levels of cabinetry. Or we can do all hardwood or it can be plywood inside and have veneers on the front. There's so many ways to value engineer cabinetry, but to the opposite end of that, there's a lot of ways where you say, all of these boxes are hardwood. All of the fronts are hardwood. The insides are all satin varnished and exposed wood interiors instead of just painted interiors. And all of that really starts leveling up the cost of, are they partial overlay doors? Are they full overlay doors? So they have to use more material to make bigger doors. So how do you recommend we learn more about that? Like cabinetry? Start talking to a custom cabinet guy and just talk... Talk to a cabinet guy when you're thinking about doing a job. Have them tell you what effect. Like I always ask, like, tell me what's going to really impact the price the most. And show me what that looks like. And they Um, always have have examples. They always have. If you go to their shop, I would ask to go to a local cabinet maker. Tell them you're local. You don't want a cabinet seller. You want a cabinet maker. Because you could go to a showroom and see them in there, but I just feel like the education is going to be so different if you're talking to the person making them, not just a cabinet showroom. If you have to go to a cabinet showroom, that can work, but find someone reputable who really knows how the things are made and I might, what changes it. I might start with a cabinet showroom so you at least know what. Well, just a starting point, so you're not wasting a cabinet maker's time with the like, what's overlay versus inset. I have you know found I mean? my local guys to be really responsive when I, I say guess. I live Depends here and I'm a designer are. here, and most of them want to to get in front of a designer audience. So I've found that my yeah. local upholsterers and my local, you know, installers and everybody they they want to do that. And especially if you have a project in mind that you're thinking of, you can go in and say, here's what I'm looking at. This is the client's dream. How does that affect? What are average linear linear foot pricing in my area? Mm-hmm. And, and a cabinet showroom can help you get that too by telling you that line over there is XYZ a square foot. And that one is this price a square foot or a linear. I mean, foot. Again, this goes back to this idea of having like your toolkit of price ranges that you want to offer to your clients and having the range and budgets available and you have your go-tos. So maybe the lowest end client you have will be pre, prefab semi-custom cabinets that you'd find in a showroom. Mm-hmm. And then your high end would be your bespoke artisan. Full inset hardwood. Cabinet maker. 
exchange grade. But your low end <laughs> may not be IKEA because it might not make sense to get involved in an IKEA kitchen because they're just going to pay you for your time. They could have just upgraded their cabinets. That's what I usually describe. Like, I always tell, tell people like IKEA makes sense if you're going to DIY it and you can install it, put it together and do it. Otherwise, if you're paying somebody to install IKEA cabinets and build them, you could have just had better cabinets. Precisely. Yeah. The price differences are different depending on your market and where you are. But sometimes it's like you could spend 15% to 20% more and you'd be at a pre-built frame. So now you're not having to pay to have them all assembled. And it's just a fully assembled cabinet that's much easier to install and... The client much just has easier to for a, a contractor to install or right. So and like I have like, don't want to do it. Ikea. They don't, they don't want to mess with Ikea because no, they make nothing they off of it. They make nothing off of it. And it's not in their streamlined system. I have Ikea cabinets in my house, but it's because we DIY'd all of it and right. that made the price stay down. So there's no time and place. You need to decide again, determine where it all fits in your business. Right. Same goes with furniture frames. There's a ton of furniture stuff, case goods, how drawers are put together. If it's veneer or full wood, similar to cabinets, you just kind of got to get educated on each of your vendors and why their pricing is what it is. I agree with that. Upholstery, we unfortunately do not have a whole episode right now to dedicate to this, but things that we look for at market when we're looking at upholstery or if you're in a showroom are, I really pay attention to the outside first because I think that's what we see. So lining, how do patterns line up? Or if Mm -hmm. it has like a stripe or if it's just a bigger print or something, I look at that first because if someone's looking to take shortcuts on cost, they won't line up the repeat of the patterns exactly on cushions and like, like from the back of the chair to the cushion to the front of the skirt. Right. Like instance. all the lines or patterns won't match each other. But mm-hmm. ideally, like if I'm looking at, say, a pattern on the back cushion of a chair, I want to see the seat pattern match up exactly into that mm-hmm. crease. And that, but that takes a lot of extra fabric. You have to waste a lot of fabric doing that. So that's why you see a lot of, I mean, in mass produced furniture, you see a lot of it is just neutral. It's all solids. It's all neutrals because it's easy to match them up. Or it just doesn't match. Yeah. There's no match. It doesn't matter. And just like side note, this is also like a hot tip when you're looking at vintage on somewhere like marketplace. So I found a pair of Baker chairs that I just got. But sometimes people don't know what they have in their seller's profile or in the sale items. So if you can look at a bad photo on Marketplace and see like, oh, those that big pattern lines up really well. Like that was made. That was well. made well. So it's probably a good piece that would be great to recover. So yeah, anyway, it'd be worth talking and look going and looking at it, for instance. For sure. And that goes to how you think it's going to stand up too, because usually a quality piece of furniture will also have better fills in the cushions and in the back pieces that they may have 
down that's supported mm-hmm. with foam or foam that's wrapped with down. Trillium is, I feel like everyone's using Trillium now, which is kind of a upgrade from just standard like poly fillers, like the soft fill. And I feel like you probably have a lot of polyester fill in your like home goods type of level or target level pillows. And then Trillium is like an upgrade because it acts more like down where soft and it kind of cushions better. Yeah, it's manufactured down, right? Right. And that makes sense for some people who have allergies or aversions to too down that they don't want to use it. But I mean, like for me, down is like the premium, like the, the content of down percentage in a cushion tells you how luxurious it's going to feel when you sit on it. Yeah, the Trillium is an upgrade for some people or like a selling point, I should say, because it's vegan. Mm-hmm. Some people have issues with how down is harvested, which is another range of products of what kind of down, totally. how they t- get it from the bird and how they treat the birds. And a lot of people don't like my husband, for instance, hates down because he hates the pokies. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. But that's also how well it's wrapped and made and right. Like you can another quality consideration. You can wrap them again and prevent that from happening, but it costs more material to do that. And what else do I, I pay attention to where the seams are placed a lot because like, particularly with leather goods, they, there's a limit to how big a hide can be if it's leather, but also sometimes it's a really small item, like a dining chair and it has all these seams on it where they could have just used a larger piece of leather. But again, it's more expensive. They can't use all the scrap pieces. So- Or fabric. Like you see it like on low priced dining chairs. Where it has a seam down the middle of the- And you're like, damn, this was only like a 20 inch wide chair. Like how we don't have enough fabric It's not removable. Yeah, it's it's not a zipper. Yeah. So that's kind of what I look for. Well, the main thing with upholstered items is the framing itself. So again, back to my little baker chairs, they're 60 years old and they're made from solid wood, super great internal construction. So they're still in great condition. A lot of stuff now at the entry level of the market is made from particle or plywood or they nailed together. Like it's nailed. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm going to tell you. Uh oh, that's your shady voice. Shade alert. I don't know where it, I feel like it was a local Los Angeles designer who shared it originally, but she had a client who had a restoration hardware sofa that they wanted to reupholster. Like they love the sofa. They love the sofa. And she was like, I'm not in love with it, but fine. So they were going to reupholster it as part of the job. And the client was really in love with it. And the designer got the restoration hardware sofa to their upholsterer. The upholsterer was like, I don't know what I'm dealing with yet. I can't give you the real price until I get the fabric off and I know what's there. Maybe the frame is salvageable. Maybe the fills are not. I don't know. And you guys, I shit you not, the designer shared photos where the inside frame had been put together with Chiquita banana crates. The upholsterer was able to pull out pieces from the furniture frame and almost put together a whole crate. They just 
grabbed whatever lumber they could find to piece together this sofa. So I would never buy their products anyway, because I don't believe their quality matches up with their price. But clients think restoration hardware is the bee's knees of furniture because it's so expensive. I mean, hopefully that was like no. some... <laughs> I mean, no, I agree with like... Benefit the quality of a doubt. The, like... I know, benefit of a doubt, Becky over here. But I agree that the quality <laughs> doesn't match the price for sure, full stop. Yeah. Banana crate, like I really hope that was like one scrappy, someone who thought they were really doing the company a solid and getting it's creative not the, it's not the first time i've heard of oh, scrap scrap lumber being used to create frames of sofas which is hard because you're not getting the support and it's not getting the strength it needs because it's it'd be like piecing together the walls of your house with scrap lumber you wouldn't want that house but we're going to sit on the sofa every day and then be worried when our kids are jumping on it because it's pieced together with glued together scrap wood or stapled together wood. That's not okay. No, not okay. Not okay. We have to know what manufacturers are putting into their products and how they're made. And our job is to educate our clients on what that looks like. Yes, that is 100% our job because client education is a sales tactic, like the number one sales tactic, because you're not just going to put a random price on something and expect people to pay for it, especially when they don't know what things should cost. Correct. So I always think of like my own personal journey that most of us have probably experienced. When I was in college, spending $20 on a meal was a lot. That was a nice night out at TGI Fridays. Yeah. With a drink. <laughs> Maybe even share an app. Share an appy with your buds. So that, I mean, okay, it was the 90s, but still. I yeah. think we've all kind of adjusted our thinking and what is valuable to us and what we consider mm-hmm. quality. So my idea of quality has adapted just in the past three years, getting a better education and understanding of what goes into products that we sell. Oh, 100%. West Elm used to be the upgrade. And now I, you could not, you, I wouldn't, I just won't. Like here and there, I'll, I'll think about, but if I'm really intentionally pa- planning my own home or planning for a client, I'm still shocked that I would say this, but to think about buying A table lamp that's more than $500 is crazy to some people, but I have a $1,200 table lamp. You don't have kids throwing (laughs) shit around. I don't have kids messing with my shit, but I also, if you had asked me at 21, would you ever spend $1,200 on a light fixture? I would go, what? Hell no. I'm going on vacation that weekend. I'm going to buy bottle service for my friends. I'm going to do whatever with all of that. It's just... We have to shift. I buy 10 pairs of shoes. (laughs) (laughs) But I really do identify with that buy quality, buy once, if that's where you're at in your life. You may not be at that phase. You may be at the phase where disposable furniture is still going to have to make sense, where you're still going to have to replace things. But our job is to help clients understand, like, 
formerly you thought that restoration hardware was the top of the line. And now it's my job to tell you that's not true anymore. Because top of the line isn't retail. Correct. For the most part, you can get stuff in a boutique, obviously, but not big e-commerce retail sites. And buying disposable, I get into this with my parents a lot because they're chronic redoers. I think we're all sevens in my family. It drives my husband crazy. They're always switching things out or I don't like that refrigerator anymore. I can't even tell you how many mattresses they've bought, but once they told me they lost count, but in their marriage, they've had over 55 cars or something. Oh my God. That they could count. Oh no. So anyway, they're redoing their kitchen and they could have bought a yacht. Oh my God. So many yachts. (laughs) They are redoing their kitchen and they are changing out their stove. And it's the third stove or range they've had in five years. That's crazy. So it's a little bit them, their personalities, but it's also, okay, dad, buy something a little bit better. So I talked them into, for instance, they're doing furniture. Let's invest a little bit more in a sofa so you don't have to do this again. Because you could have bought some really nice ass stuff with all the things you keep switching out because they're not comfortable or they fall apart or whatever. Right. It's not exactly what they want, but they think, well, that's the budget we're willing to spend and they don't know what spending a little bit more would get them or what they're ultimately going to spend when they keep switching it, (laughs) what they have spent. Totally. You're experiencing it with your family. And, but that's just that same journey with clients. You, Mm -hmm. you talked about a few times you've brought up how, when Inea White was on the show and Mm -hmm. she talked about her client, her client kept bringing back or coming back to her and saying, Oh, you don't get me when Inea would present something and the client would come back and show some really high ticket items that were like, I don't know what she said. Tens of thousands. Like, Yeah. So her inspo <laughs> photo would have these super luxury items and like light fixtures and stuff. And she would say, you're not getting what I want. And he is like, well, you're not getting what things cost. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy. showing you what fits your budget. Right. <laughs> but yeah. So you can't just find all these inspo photos and then expect to get the same thing that look for less also gets you something it's not just the price that's less it's the quality it's everything i really try to help people understand and help other designers understand sometimes they're sharing photos and they're like guys where's this light fixture from and it's you know an antique european rewired $15,000 light fixture, or there are some, I'm not going to name names, but there are some very popular Instagram designers who have very specific design taste in my area who people might know and follow. And are some of the draperies in her projects on one window is 10, 20 and $30,000 worth of loomed Belgian linen and they're 10 feet tall and even higher super some full. of them and yeah. they're yeah three times fullness let's let's loop it in here 
that's not going to cost you $3,000. Like when you add up all of the yardage and you're thinking, oh, that's easily $350 a yard. Let me do some rough numbers on some of this. And let's it's be so real. Your crazy. average homeowner is going to balk at $3,000. Oh my God. Even even most homeowners at the Her entry window. level, after a thousand a thousand dollars a window, clients were, were already still start going. Oh my god! Oh my god! Because they've lived with these honeycomb shades, or oh, but you know these blinds from Home Depot are just as good. I hate to break it to y'all. Don't I? I'm gonna be shady with all of y'all. Don't come at us. Don't at me <laughs> by saying that you're like. DIY draperies are just as good are this or that say that if you have seen and installed and used what we're talking about and then come back and tell me how it's just as good you might be able to stage it for a photo (laughs) just as good but once you try to open and close it again like you're not going to be steaming those every time you want to open and close your windows exactly like we we have to start knowing it's I feel like part of this is also a mindset and a I it's not necessarily for me about a class issue because this really comes down to money that people will spend because some people will spend way more on an what was an entry level home for them because they really want it to look elevated. So people are trying to move their lifestyles in a direction they want just because someone else is willing to spend $3,000 on on window coverings in their home doesn't mean that the, you know, $300 semi-custom Roman shade you put in doesn't have value or doesn't look good. It We have to start separating that. Saying one is beautiful doesn't mean something else isn't. It doesn't mean that what you're doing right now is worse necessarily no and there's an appropriateness for different levels of homes and different neighborhoods you don't want to over invest in your house probably don't put thirty thousand dollar belgian linen draperies per room in your little house cottage starter home that doesn't make any sense you just need to get all that stuff you know right sized i feel like it definitely comes appropriateness comes down to where i think what i'm trying to say is Sometimes designers feel defensive when someone tells them, oh, this client spent $5,000 on draperies or on window treatments. And then someone will come back and go, that's crazy. And then I'm like, hold on. Why is that crazy if that's their client and their project and the finish level and the, it doesn't make it crazy that someone would spend that money. It's, that's your own mindset. If your reaction is to say that, that's you saying, I would not place this value on that. I would rather spend that money on something else. That's a value conversation you're trying to have. And it goes both ways. So Mm -hmm. another designer might say, what? You put a Target side table in that client's house? That's crazy. Yep. But it might make sense to bring in Target accessories for a certain level just to get it done and get it wrapped up and right photograph fine. Yeah. But there's a time. So there is a time and a place for all the things, which is kind of back to my point, like build your bucket, your toolkit, whatever, what makes sense for your clients. I mean, I think it would be hard to make a profitable business selling all entry level big box store furniture. Oh yeah. It's not 
the greatest quality overall. It's kind of considered disposable. And um, again, like if you one of those pieces you can spend somewhere else for you know with your client they can invest in another piece that is more important to them and I know we're going to have more episodes about this because I think we're just scratching the surface and maybe even for some designers like ripping off the band-aid of we gotta we gotta get this off we've got to start the healing process and <laughs> understanding <laughs> like what the full breadth our industry has to offer because we want you to feel like you can grow into those spaces without being intimidated. And we want you to have confidence doing that. Yeah, I think this came up with somebody on Instagram was talking about someone asked her if you have to come from money to sell a luxury service. Hell no. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting. Hell no is absolutely the answer, but you do have to get out of your own money mindset way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't still live that life, that no money life. You got to get out there and do the research, learn about things, look at auction houses, pick up an El Decor and Google search all the sources, get on first mm-hmm. dibs. I mean, it. you have to give yourself a whole education. See it, go to market, feel it, ask your reps. All of this is really hard to communicate when you're just looking at pictures on the internet. So have you, you have gone- to see it. This made me think, have you ever gone to a high-end antique showroom? I mean, like real antiques, like there's some really amazing ones in LA. I went to that crazy woman's house on Facebook Marketplace and looked at all of her. My favorite are the ones that have older gay men, like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. super, whatever you guys are picturing is probably right. But the older gay man who's there and he's like, honey, come over here and look at this. Can you imagine that? And I love the descriptive artistic quality of language that they use to talk about how things are made, why they were important, Mm -hmm. where it fit in in history, why it's so significant. The provenance of them, like they have little cards with little... I could listen to that stuff all day. Well, that's that lady I met on Facebook. And most of them are happy to share the knowledge because it's taken a lifetime to find all of those things and they want to tell you why. And it really does require from us a little bit of some humble pie to say, look, I'm a designer. I know things. I don't know a lot about this. Can you just, as we look around, Help tell me a little bit more about this. Why is this important? What justifies that price tag? What belongs with this? And you can even do that with new product, with the reps and the trade vendors and say, why is this price this way? Because I'm seeing other things that are like this. What makes yours this level? Or what does that? And don't be afraid to say that because it's the only way truly that you're going to learn is to just put yourself out there and be ready to be humble and be a learner and figure it out. And that's the fun part, isn't it? Like to me, your clients never know you're doing this. No, it doesn't damage anything. No. And it's, I don't know, being a learner and understanding the craft involved is really the fun part to me. And if you can unlock somebody's passion about their product then you can really get them going. Like you were saying with the cabinet makers, they can be very abrupt and like, here's your bid, bye. But if you can get them going and- And they know you care. Bring the kid out of them that is like so excited about what they do. Oh my God. That is like the best. That that reminds me of a visit I had with, with a woodworker. And he was like, have you seen this wood? And he was bringing out these rare 
pieces that he's like, I'm waiting for the right project to use this. This was a really expensive piece of lumber. And they're like, I can't wait to make the piece that goes with this when it's right. They are so excited about what they do when you have craftspeople and makers and artisans. And it does scale all the way up to pieces that can be mass produced is some of these companies are so proud of what they can create and the work that's gone into them. So it makes sense for us to put the time and energy in to learn about it and to find out as much as we can so we can pass that on to our customers, hopefully sell a little bit better because the goal is that we can make money off of this. Also side effect is keep these art forms alive. <laughs> like Otherwise they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. And to that end, the fewer people doing it, how much more expensive do the few people who are doing it get to right. charge for their, that's why you have these people in France who are the only people in the world making some of these wallpapers and tapestries and fabrics anymore. Hmm. Like, and now they can charge whatever they want. They can literally pick any number they want. And we all don't have access to it anymore because only the uber wealthy can afford it. So that makes me sad. That's like a, the more, you know, support them now. So that way you can still afford to buy them in 20 years. And they can still stay in business. So totally. Oh my that God. Was that, fun. Was, that was a whole party y'all. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Pew, 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 pew. All well, right. until next time, stay hot designers. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. Dang, that's a big, that's a, that's a meaty episode. <laughs> that's a, that's a big baby. That's... <laughs> Look at that big boy. Look at that boy. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs>